0: Well, following that, let's read some of the Bible. (laughs) Our scripture reading today is John 4, verses 1 through 26, and it's the story of the woman of Samaria. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples— He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water I will give them will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews." This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning again. Our faith in this world, particularly in the culture in the West in our time, can it can be tempting to have kind of a negative view. Often of, of the world, particularly. Like we're a beleaguered minority and most people out there don't uh, believe what we do or aren't interested. And it can get negative pretty quickly. I told some some amongst us that, uh, well, it's 12 days ago now, Jen and I were watching the news, uh, CBC National News. It was two days after the uh, van attack in Toronto when a when, uh, number of people were killed. And... Uh, the news was tragic and terrible. People can say, you know, I don't watch the news because it's nothing but bad news. But what was interesting about the newscast as we watch it was, watched it was how encouraging and heartwarming and wonderful it was. Uh, I'm going to show you, you get to watch two video clips in the sermon, so that's good. Uh, and I'm going to show you one in just a moment. What's not in this clip, a couple of days later because they have the site there, you know, where they put photos and you write things down and you, the, the memorial site, there's actually a couple of them there, one where the attack kind of began and one where the van ended up. And uh, at one of these sites, they were interviewing a young, a young boy, it's a young man, he's only 13 though, uh, he, he's a black kid from Toronto, I guess. And uh, did anybody see this? I don't know, they, they interviewed him and they said, what are you thinking as you're looking at this? And he was so soft spoken and so, uh, just was so beautiful. And that's what he said. They said, What do you think of this? And he said, And he's looking at the flowers and he said, It's so beautiful. He was almost like a poet the way that he spoke. I tried to find the clip, I couldn't. Um, but he was so humanizing. He spoke of the tragedy and the loss and how terrible it is that those people lost their lives. But he said, there is something really beautiful about what's happening here, and I'm really privileged to get to be here. It was astounding. I want to play you this little two-and-a-half-minute news clip. This was from the uh, newscast that I'm talking about. And obviously what what I'm asking you to look for is the kind of multicultural, multi-faith aspect, because today we're talking about arguing Christianly outside of our faith.
2: A small example of a close community, the simple gesture of a local shop offering free flowers trying to provide some measure of comfort, and they gave away a lot. The co-owner reluctantly speaking on camera about why. So you decided to give away flowers today, why? Yeah, just a little things we can help.
0: Like what we can do is just we have flowers, so that's all.
2: Yeah. How are people doing today?
0: Well, they, everybody is in grieving different ways.
2: Vanita Hoyt works down the street. She and her co-workers still shaken by what they saw. How do you think the community is today?
0: Well, f- from who we have over there, it seems everybody came together. At the memorial?
2: Yes. And, and what about at your workplace, all the people who saw yes, yesterday what happened? How are they doing?
0: They're doing okay. We had grief counsel come in today and talk to us, so... Some of us were able to talk to them, and some weren't able, so.
2: Ask people here to define this neighbourhood, and they'll say it's multi-ethnic, friendly, safe. But it's that last part that feels in doubt for some today. Gina Chang, like so many people, saw the carnage outside her workplace. First two things you talk yeah. about is walking yeah. and safety. Yeah. And now i'm sure some people feel they wonder if that's still the case no nobody like every uh person that i spoke to since yesterday everyone just said to me uh, how could this happen here coming to work today i still felt a little like maybe it could be there could be another possibility of similar attack? Yeah. I don't know. Every
0: day, you know, walk routine. And... Amit
2: Bogle says he noticed his neighbors are different today.
1: I feel that people's faces are a bit frozen. Uh, they don't know how to process it. I felt I felt that with some of my neighbors. I felt a bit of coldness, even in the elevators, taking, you know, I take the elevators every day in my condo building, so I felt that, but I tried extra hard to be, you know, good to them, smile at them, because, you know, a smile can change a person's perspective. It's just a matter of one smile.
2: after that thing happened, I thought every people are combined together. Make more warm. Yeah. That's all. Thank you very much. You're welcome.
1: She said, after that thing happened, I I felt that everybody was combined together. I want you to hang on to that as we talk about how to argue outside the Christian faith. What I'm on about, what I've got in my head, is that well-meaning people that I'm very, very grateful for and a Christian history, well, we heard some of it this morning, my Mennonite heritage is not something that the entire heritage is not things that, that Mennonites are all proud of. And it doesn't hurt for us these days to think, what have we been handed in our heritage That maybe we can grow from, we can be grateful for, but we don't have to do the same way. And what I'm going to say to you, you don't have to agree with me, is that how we relate to people of other faiths is one of those things. That there has been in Christian tradition such a division and a distinction that I would argue has actually not helped us evangelically, though there has been some fruit from that kind of model. But overall, it's probably not helped us, that's my argument. But I'm also aware in Christian faith that there are Christians who, when they hear things like people are all combined together or any sentiment that everybody is the same, that people who believe in Jesus Christ can say, well, wait a minute, it's not all the same. There are differences. So I want to show you this next picture. This is from the same scene. Uh, Right after it happened, you saw these signs that said, love for all, hatred for none. Well, that was from a local mosque. Led by their imam, they came to the site, and they had those signs. Now, that's from the Muslim faith, and I'm not saying by any means that the Muslim faith and the Christian faith are the same. They are not. But that sentiment is also a Christian sentiment. Love for all, hatred for none. As you mix in this community, you're not going to get around in North Vancouver without mixing with people who don't believe what you believe. Many have other faiths, and many, possibly the majority, would indicate that they really don't have any religious faith. I'm grouping the two together in saying, how do we relate to people and how do we argue Christianly outside of the faith? We're going to do a tasting room theology in the not too distant future. I'm the working title I have in my head is, These Are the People in Your Neighborhood. So now you've got the song in your head now. In your neighborhood, in your neighborhood. Keep you awake during a sermon. Um, and we want to do it at a Persian bakery and hear from somebody who doesn't share our faith about what it's like to live in this community. A friend of mine who is a Muslim, I've told you about here here before. I told you a story of giving her a hug in the middle of the road and spinning around. It's the same person. She's absolutely a ton of fun. She came here to Sutherland one Sunday evening. We were doing, I think it was the thing called Vagabond, but I'm not sure. Mark Woodyard was playing a number of worship songs and performance pieces. It was a wonderful evening, and our friend Ruma came along. And uh, I I wouldn't do this to Mark to show you a picture of what Mark, Mark looks like now and then. Uh, But Ruma said, This is wonderful. She thought it was really great. She said, He's amazing. And she said, I knew you worshiped Jesus, but I didn't know he went here. (laughs) Because Mark kind of looks like some of those depictions you see of Jesus Christ. So far, in what we've done in arguing Christianly, this is our outline. We have given an introduction. What does it mean to be a witness in this world to the love of Jesus Christ? And saying that one of the areas where we can positively show our faith is that we ought to argue differently because of what we believe. Uh, That the stakes are different. We don't have to win every fight. I could simply say, Christians should think differently about money than non-Christians. And that's going to change a lot of your arguments. You'll You'll be willing to lose some arguments about money to say well, I don't serve money. I serve the Lord. Now, don't say that as you lose the argument, but you'll know. We ought to be able to argue differently. We look secondly at is God the worst because this is a cultural touch point for people that they can think, well, God, especially as as they feel in Scripture, particularly the Old Testament, by the way, this is not a good reading of the Old Testament, but you can see the stories there where it appears that God is most violent of all. So we looked at that. And thirdly, we looked at family trouble. How do you argue within your family? And identified that the goal in Christian life is not to have the perfect Christian family, because you won't get there. There's none in Scripture. But what you ought to be doing is saying, how do I act within my family when there are troubles, difficulties, and even arguments? Then last week we talked about arguing in church and mentioned that you don't have to believe exactly even what the person even in church believes particularly on social issues particularly on matters of faith styles of worship, whatever it is we tend to gather in like-minded groups as Christians like most people gather in the same ways but one of the witness kind of goals and gifts that we have is that we could gather here and think very differently about a number of matters and still worship the Lord Jesus Christ together. That's what we have in common. It is not that we are gathered by a common interest. It is that we are, and this is quite the language I know, but we are mystically united together in shared faith in Christ. And what's wonderful is you know that truth of being united in Christ when you share this faith with somebody who sees important things differently than you do. But most churches, I would say, are not very good at that. Most churches tend to say, well, here's what Christians ought to think about this. Here's what Christians ought to think about this. And so if you have a young person or someone else who thinks, wait a minute, I don't see it that way, but I love the Lord Jesus Christ, then you've got a difficulty. So today we look at arguing outside the church. How do we relate to people? And I, so I, I understand I'm doing something a little bit different here than saying how you argue with non-Christians. Really what I'm getting at is how do we engage with people who believe differently than we do? So an example for this from our scripture is Jesus and the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. I have on the heading there that God is for people. I want you to have that in your mind as you reconsider this interaction between Jesus and this woman. Because I would argue that this story has been abused in its telling. Often, in church, it has been used to mean the the thing that it doesn't mean. Like that Jesus is going like this to the woman. (laughs) Um, And somehow that God is against people. But here's how you can truly worship God. The story is much better than that. God is for people. So Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. You've heard, if you've been in church for a number of years particularly, most of us have heard that uh, Jesus shouldn't have been there in the first place. The scripture says Jesus left Judea and he was going to Galilee. And some of you have seen the maps, right? The preacher shows, well, here's Judea and here's Galilee. And Samaria is in between. Where the Samaritans lived is in between. And these two groups of people don't mix. It's almost like different faiths. And so if you wanted, as a Jew, to travel from Judea to Galilee, you would go around. You'd take the long route. But Jesus... Went through and wound up tired and weary. Isn't that a nice description of our Lord? To know his humanity as well as his, his divinity, he was tired. Wearied from his journey and came to a well, and a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus asked her for a drink. Come, Holy Spirit, and help us to see that this already breaks all kinds of ideas of religious convention. How remarkable is this already? Jesus asks her for a drink, and the Samaritan woman then reminds Jesus of what is acceptable for Jews and for Samaritans. She says, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. In fact, as Anne read to us, she said, I am a Samaritan woman a woman of Samaria. She's given him two reasons why he ought not to be speaking with her. First, she's a woman, and secondly, where she's from. Jesus is breaking the barriers already. He shouldn't be in that place, and he shouldn't be with that person, and if he's with that person, he most certainly shouldn't be speaking to her, and he most certainly, of all, should not be asking her for something. We're told in our scripture that the Sabbath is for people, not people for the Sabbath. Remember those that encounter with Jesus? God has turned towards people in Jesus Christ. God towards people more than religion or rules. We get the service order wrong. It's a healthy place to start. What do you know about that person? So, someone outside your understanding in Christian faith, someone who doesn't believe what you do, what do you know for sure about that person? I can tell you right now from our Christian faith. What do you know absolutely for sure about them? God is for them. As much as he is for you. Now, you could start instead with the divisions. (laughs) Jesus did not do that. God is for them. My friend, who has a different faith than I do, and these faiths are not the same. I know things about her. She's joyful and loving. But where I start is that God is for her. The religious concept is purity that concept that uh, we must keep these distinctions and differences and barriers. It has a history in our scripture and in our understanding, but Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He does not come to abolish these things, but he tells us what they were all about to begin with. I'm asking you to make a fairly major, potentially a fairly major shift in your life. And sometimes these can fall on the older we are, the more distinct this, this ask is. It is true that younger generations, particularly in urban environments, have often mixed more with people who think differently. And so there's already an openness there. But I remember when we did uh, George Galpin's um, little video we made for and with George. It was a black and white thing years ago. And in just a little kind of retrospective of what North Vancouver used to be like. And I remember interviewing George and George talking about, well, the bottom of 19th Street is where the Italians lived. And some of you can identify with those kinds of times. I can't so much. But the ask can be harder if you're older, but I'm still going to ask it. That there would be this shift. That instead of thinking of those divisions, that you start with what you know about all of these people from the truth of your Christian faith, and that is that God loves all. Where do these division ideas come from? They come from interpretations of texts. So, you take a text that we don't count as Holy Scripture, the Quran, the Muslim scripture, and you might hear that the Quran says, kill the infidel. That's what Muslims believe. Well, that's what some Muslims believe, the ones you might hear about a lot, ISIS and others. But that is not what most Muslim people believe. It's not what those people who said love for all, hatred for none believe. One of the ways that we ought to be showing evangelistically our Christian faith is that we should stand against the distortions of other people's faith. And we certainly shouldn't participate in them. You don't like when your Christian faith is distorted. You wouldn't like it if somebody said to you, well, Christian faith is about the Crusades. And you went out as Christians, and your goal entirely was to kill Muslims. You would say, what? Yes, that is what I believe. Would you say that? Of course not. You would say, that is not what I believe at all. But people could take from your scripture things and twist them To mean that. To support those kinds of things. You ought not to participate in the same kind of distortion of other faiths. But this comes from, in our own faith and in other people's faith, this pull sometimes to think of the person as the other. To see what is entirely different about them. And to make this, this is a really terrible leap, that God is with me but not them. Jesus Christ is confronted in this encounter. This woman says, I am a woman from Samaria. This doesn't happen. And most good religious people of the day and up to our day would side with her warning, not with his action. The unfortunate assumption can be that God has to do with me, but not them. Have you ever thought that way? That God is with you, but God is not With others? Small ways. It gets psychotic, like Jan Matthias thinking that he hears the voice of God more than anybody else. But it becomes a bit of a challenge when we think, well, how do we do the same kind of thing? That God can speak to me, but not so much to you. Going back to Jesus, how did he interact with people of other faiths? Well, here in this conversation, he asks her for water, which I've identified as remarkable to begin with. And she says, you shouldn't be asking me for water. And he says, if you knew the gift of God, you would be asking for living water. Everyone who drinks of this water will never go thirsty again. In fact, they will have from within them living water to eternal and abundant life. And she says, I'd like some water like that. And he says, go get your husband. He plays back to the divisions. It's interesting here. She says, I have no husband. This is where I think some of the scripture has been abused. True, he says, you've had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. Now, how do you hear that? How has it been taught to you? He calls out her sin, right? Why do you think that that's what it means? Why do you go right away until he calls out her sin? Did somebody tell you that? He's not calling out her sin, he's calling out her longing. Right? What has he just been talking about? You thirst in your life. How is the thirst most demonstrated in this woman's life by these relationships over time? Your rights. You've had five husbands, and the man that you're now with is not your husband. He, in my understanding, is not going like this. He is identifying with her thirst. Also, to to give evidence to that, we don't know any of the circumstances of these five marriages. In that day, we do know one thing. The woman was considered to be property of the man. And all the man needed to do was give a certificate and say, you're done now, I'm done with you, and that would cast her into all kinds of social problems. Maybe this woman was victimized by multiple people. But somebody told you he's calling out her sin. It makes much more sense in this text to understand that he is calling out her longing, her thirst. I understand. He's not saying it's not sin, it's just potentially not what he's talking about at all. He certainly, we know for sure, because of the rest of the story, that he talks about the longing of the human heart, thirst. The rest of the story does not teach about sin, but somebody told you that that's what it's about. And then the metaphor, living water. So can you see what he's done? You thirst. You thirst. I see this in your life. And with this living water, you will never thirst again. When I see love for all and hatred for none, what do I think of? Well, because I'm a Christian, I think of Jesus we so often have thought of division. Christian and non-Christian, believer and non-believer, with the emphasis on human choice, action, and belief. Our first place of emphasis ought to be on the goodness of God. The difference of religion in this encounter emphasized mostly in verses 19 through 26. She's trying to make a religious sense of the scene. When he talks to her about the husbands, she says, you must be a prophet, (laughs) right? Like any of us would do. And then she tries to place him the Jew the Samaritan kind of division we worship in this place you in that place she's trying to religiously figure things out and he basically talks about or he says the hour is coming when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth he mentioned all he does mention also that salvation comes from the Jews And in verse 23, he says the Father is seeking such people to worship him, those who will worship in spirit and in truth. He identifies himself in the end as the living water. This is not, this is the furthest thing from saying all religions are the same. He is making the claim that he is the Messiah. This is Christian. But he is also saying that people have this heart seeking, and God is looking for people to worship him. The seeking heart of God all over the world for us. So now I'm going to show you something that will. some of you will think this is so wonderful and heartwarming and others of you this might upset. Okay? Ready? I'll tell you what side I'm on. I think it's wonderful and heartwarming. So now you can be upset at me if you don't like it. All right. This is the Pope in conversation with a young child recently. Did you see this or hear about it? So this little boy goes to ask the Pope a question and uh, you'll see it subtitled. And they edit out some, like, he talks to the Pope for longer than they show here. But here we go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> die.
3: Vieni, vieni, vieni da me Manuele, vieni da me e dimmi dall'orecchio, dimmi dall'orecchio. Vieni, vieni, vieni da me. Vieni, vieni da me. Vieni. tempo fa è mancato viene a, a, è venuto a mancare mio papà lui era ateo ma ci ha fatto battezzare a tutti i quattro figli e, era un uomo bravo e in cielo papà non era credente ma ha fatto battezzare i figli aveva il cuore buono chi dice chi va in cielo è Dio ma com'è il cuore di Dio davanti a un papà così com'è? cosa vi sembra a voi? un cuore di papà Dio ha un cuore di papà e davanti a un papà che non credente è stato capace di battezzare i figli Voi pensate che Dio sarebbe capace di lasciarlo lontano da te? Pensate quello? Ma forte, con coraggio. Dio abbandona i Suoi figli? Dio abbandona i Suoi figli quando sono bravi? Ecco, Emanuele, questa è la risposta. Dio... Sicuramente era fiero di tuo papà, perché più facile essendo credente battesare i figli che essendo non credente battesare. Sicuramente a Dio questo è piaciuto tanto. Parla con tuo papà. per tuo papà.
1: When I was growing up, people told me to be really, really careful about that kind of thing. And if you follow online the, the comments, some comments with vulgar language are saying, the dad's in hell, and the Pope is deceptive to say this terrible thing. It get, got a lot worse than that. Two things that I note in the Pope's answer. Firstly, he refers to the father's heart, the dad's heart. And when I was growing up, you know, it was, it's emphasized, I think rightly so, it, just having a good heart doesn't necessarily isn't a salvation comment, but the Pope is not saying the dad had a good heart therefore he's in heaven. The second thing the Pope said is that it's God who decides who's in heaven and who's not. In other words, he's not really answering the question in a way, but he plays on this theme of heart, and he says to the young man and the crowd there. I like when he says, who wants to say where he is if they think, he, you know, speak up? And the kids, the kids all holler something positive. But he's not speaking about the dad's heart. He's speaking about the father's heart. And he's quoting Matthew 7 in doing that, though he doesn't say, Matthew 7 says. Matthew 7 does say, if you who are a human, even evil, are good to your children and do good things for your children, what do you think about God's heart? That's what he's doing. Back to the story. All I know, says the woman, is that Messiah is coming. And Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. Jesus Christ is the living water. I have never known anything more than I know that. It is entirely Christian. And if you were to tell me that I'm not Christian, because of the way that I want to, seek to, and try to relate to people of other faiths, I will argue with you. A faith centered on Jesus Christ, but open. What do I have in common with others? Firstly, the longing of the human heart for belonging, meaning, and security. This will draw you together with people who believe differently than you do. Don't seek to be the one all the time who thinks that you're higher than them and you have something to give them. Jesus Christ, evangelistically, the first thing he does with this woman is ask her for something. Your non-Christian friends, did you know that that's a big part of building these relationships, is accepting their help, trusting them, and seeing this longing of the human heart. Secondly, to understand, I am not making a salvation comment here. I am making a comment about God's heart. What Jesus Christ has done for me, he has done for all people. You can tell me, if you like, who Jesus Christ has not died for. So, to conclude, arguing outside the faith... Engaging with people outside the faith. Firstly, start with theology, not anthropology. That's my academic way of saying start with, start with God. So it's interesting that while you're being present for this person, you're being driven by your Christian faith, focusing not on what you know or don't know about that other person. They're from this country. They're like this. They believe this. See how that focus is? You're focusing instead on the, spiritual, religious, theological truth that in Jesus Christ, God is for them. That's where you start. I remember serving in San Francisco, Haight-Ashbury. This is, what, 1999, taking a group of people down. Aaron, were you there? Not that year. What's that? Oh, oh, Robin was. Ah, okay, good. Anyway, we served, yeah, I, I, we had one of the best Robin stories ever from there. But anyway, another time. We served at Haight-Ashbury, which was the corner... Where, um, like, the whole hippie thing and all the kind of crazy stuff. And there were people there who clearly still thought that it was 1967 or something. And you couldn't tell. Many of them, some of them, you couldn't tell the gender. You're cutting cucumbers beside this person, and you think, that look, I don't know how to make And some of the younger people were struggling. That was one of the places that I learned. Actually, I don't need to figure all that out. This is where I start. They are loved by God, and Jesus Christ has given his life for them. I don't need all those divisions to make sense of the world. Start with theology, not anthropology, but then you go to seek to be present for the people. Secondly, then you can identify with the person and look for common ideas, thoughts, and longings. Thirdly, you can respect differences. It's important to me and my faith that to to know that my faith is not the same faith as other people. All religions are not the same. But I have yet to have a non-Christian friend when I seek to do these kinds of things to be upset or offended by me having my faith that is different than theirs. Fourthly, pray for you, for them, for the work of Jesus Christ to be made manifest. Pray, sure, pray that their eyes would be opened to the love of Jesus Christ. But you don't have to do the work of conversion. That's the Holy Spirit's work. Be able to speak about what you believe. We have a problem here with that as well. Why do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? What has he done for you? What is your faith? You can speak positively about these things. Come, Holy Spirit. A woman says, She starts being an evangelist. <laughs> Come and meet the man who told me everything I've ever done. <laughs> and people are coming to faith. I think maybe we need some renewal in how we relate. You don't have to be anything less than Christian. but you can be present much more than we have been. I mean, not as a strategy, but as witness and mission. There might be some of you who simply don't know enough non-Christian people. Build some relationships. Let's pray together. Come Holy Spirit and guide us in this thought and conversation this time. Open our eyes. We know we've just talked about something where people would see things differently. But help us, Heavenly Father, to show the love of Jesus Christ and to be driven by that. And help us to know salvation in you. And we pray, we do pray, that many others would come to know, Lord Jesus Christ, of your love. We thank you in your name. Amen.